When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I'm Jessie. And this is Glowing in Tech, powered by Coding Black Females. Amina is a neurodivergent accessibility advocate, founder, writer, and content creator, leading and shaping conversations about what it means to be digitally inclusive. Her work has been recognized by a number of industry leaders across platforms such as LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. In 2021, she won the Rising Star Developer Award and was shortlisted as a top 100 UK influential women in tech. She's also the founder of Recipe Mate, a platform tackling inaccessible sp- recipes, equipping disabled users with the skills and tools to cook with confidence and independence. So, Mina, we're so happy to have you. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing, Jesse? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> really excited to have you here and also appreciative that you have been hopping around the globe and you've managed <laughs> to find time. Yeah. <laughs> Living her best life yeah. in Thailand, Morocco, yeah. and now she's in the sunny UK. <laughs> <laughs> that shock. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first thing I wanted to ask you about is how you got your first TV credit at 18. Could you tell us about that story? Uh, yeah, so before I was in tech, I actually used to work in the film industry. Mm-hmm. So let me even go further back. So I didn't go to university. I finished my A-levels and then I decided to explore the corporate world. So I started off doing an apprenticeship in digital marketing, um, just doing like agency work, working with nonprofit organizations, etc. And then I had the opportunity to join this internship scheme that was run by a company called The Ink Factory that had collaborated with Film London. And yeah, there were over 200 applicants, but they were looking for one marketing person, one um, production person. So I got the marketing one. And yeah, that was probably the first time I got to work in like a proper film-centered like industry. Um, We mainly worked on TV shows. So this company actually produced um, this BBC series called The Night Manager, which was quite popular um, back in like 2016. So yeah, in terms of how I got my TV credit, I was just very nosy as a as an intern. Like I knew that in the creative scene, when you're an intern, you're just going to be, oh yeah, you're going to do tea, coffee, admin. And I can't even make coffee. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> um, coffee actually makes me sleepy, which <laughs> later on found out because was ADHD. because I had ADHD. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I was so terrible at making coffee. They're like, yeah, no. Um, and for <laughs> corporate people to be saying that, yeah, your coffee must be bad. <laughs> so I couldn't do any of those basic intern stuff. I think I was just too curious. And I'd go around to people's desks and be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you up to after I've done my work? And then, yeah, it's just through that. I ended up working on different projects. And there was like a show that was on um, Sky TV. And it was, uh, I think it's like an author's kind of show where they're talking about their perspective about a book that they were just writing. And I didn't know that I was going to get a TV credit from the, for this. I was just helping around. And I was just a, an assistant producer or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm here like, oh, yeah, this is great. And the next minute I'm being asked about my details because it's going on IMDb. And I'm like, oh. 
okay. Wow. And I think at that point I was like 19 or 18. I think I was 18. I was just about turning 19 or something around that time. And yeah, I was just like, oh, this is great. And I'm very, I'm very stubborn about what I want. Yeah. Um, and as a teenager, I've always just been nosy. Like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, tell me about this. Tell me about that. So yeah, I just accidentally got myself a TV credit as a, as a teenager. That's really cool. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. That is so cool. Um, so yeah, it's fun. Like, just Google me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's teenage you at 18. Can you tell us more about like your career and life planning within your 20s now? Oh, um, it's professional chaos. That, that's what I like to call it. <laughs> nice. I love that. Um, I kind of always knew that... I knew like what I wanted, but not in terms of what it would look like as a job. Like I know that I want to do something fulfilling and I want to do problem solve, but I just didn't know what that looked like. And it's been like that since I was a kid. There's just too many things that I'm interested in. Mm. So a lot of my career planning has just been me following what's interesting me and what's challenging me, which is how I ended up switching industries so many times, um, mm. even when I got into tech. So for the most part, I kind of just assess like, okay, what does it look like I'm good at right now? And what is it I'm trying to get into? And do I know anyone in the process that can help me get there? So that's kind of how I've been doing career planning. Um, It's quite unconventional because I didn't go to university. I don't have people, my age mates where I can, you know, we're going through this together. It was very much everywhere I went, I was either the youngest only woman, only black person, you know, that whole shebang. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was very hard and it was just me just constantly winging it and just trying different things and seeing what sticks um, and what I like when those things click for me. So that has literally been my career planning. Like even now, um, if you had told me this time last year, I'd be a, a founder of a startup. I'd just be like, what? Like, I, it's just, there's not a set plan in terms of a job role or like I have to be at this company or this is my dream job. I don't think I have that concept. I don't process it that way. For me, it's more like, what is aligning with my principles and values and how can I get there and enjoy it in the process? Mm. I feel like that's what my life planning has been like so far. That's amazing. Yeah. That is actually amazing. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to have this full on like five year plan and it's just like, yeah. we have to stick to that plan. But in reality, interest change, life changes. And I think as long as you're adaptable, um, yeah. I feel like you have to stick with what really aligns with your core and sometimes you know some, when you're going through life and it feels like okay this is what I'm meant to be doing I feel in alignment now Yeah, I think that's the most exciting part mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I remember when I was like so headstrong about I'm going to work in finance do all these things and then as soon as I found out about those financial exams that I had to do I was like <laughs> peace out A-Town because we're out <laughs> like what's the new plan so yeah that's really cool yeah. to hear so I'm really interested how did you get from not knowing what you wanted to do um, and having that first TV credit and the success that early on to completely doing a 180 and ending up in tech? Like, what what was that experience like? Um, I'm still in the process where I'm trying... I'm getting closer to what I think I want. Mm. Um, and I've realised it's not one thing that I want. Um, yeah. So I've kind of come to terms with that. But in terms of, like, the 180, there was a few factors. Um, as much as I enjoyed the creative side of the film industry, it was really hard to progress like the career ladder in in a place like the film industry or just the creative industry full stop is really rigid, mm. especially here in the UK. So it got to a point where it's like, I'm good at this stuff. People are recognizing me for my stuff, but it's like, I'm trapped. I can't move. Like nobody's giving me a chance to actually go further. I'm just 
stuck at entry level, stuck at interning, stuck at like, you know, um, gig after gig. And I just felt like nothing was moving. And when I feel suffocated, it's like, okay, let me find another way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at all the things that I was doing in that industry and it's like, okay, where can I do this elsewhere where it'll be a bit more appreciated or I'll have a bit more freedom. So that's how it ended up looking like a 180. But in the moment, I didn't even see it that way because I saw it as like, well, I'm just winging it and things are clicking. So mm-hmm. let me just carry on. Mm-hmm. Let me just carry on moving that way and see what happens. Um, I still do that, do that to this day. Like I can't, um, I just struggle to see that far ahead. Like if you tell me what do you want in five years time, I generally cannot tell you what that map looks like because yeah. I my brain just does not think that far ahead. Yeah. So um, it looks like a 180 when, I, when you take a step back and it's like, whoa, how did you go from film to tech? But to me, it was like, well, you're communicating with different teams. There are some digital aspects in the film industry anyway. Um, there's the whole communication side. There's the problem solving side. It's all there. It's just different mediums. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was seeing it. I wasn't seeing it as like, oh my gosh, two different industries. I'm doing a complete 180. I'm starting from scratch. It was more like, okay, this skill works here. This works here. This looks interesting. Let's see what happens. Um, that's how I sort of approached it. Yeah. Um, and that's why it looks like leaps and bounds. Because yeah. for me, I'm just like, that everyone's used to just seeing like, okay, if you want to be a doctor, this is the route. If you want to mm-hmm. be a teacher, that's the route. If you want to do this, that's the route. Whereas for me, I don't process it in a linear way like that. Like, I literally see it as like, oh, this is what I'm good at. This is what I like. Do they collide? Great. Fantastic. Go. Yeah, like my yeah, brain doesn't yeah, yeah. go anywhere after that. That's so refreshing <laughs> to hear because yeah. I think there's so much pressure on the planning aspect of careers. So to know that you can just follow what you're enjoying and yeah. put your passion in it that way is really nice. Yeah. So, so what was your first technical role? If you don't, um, so I did a boot camp with Code First Girls and they teamed up with BT. So my first role was actually a full stack developer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first introduction to like a technical role. Um. But did I like it? There were aspects that I liked, but I knew that eventually that this was not going to be where I wanted to be long term. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those roles for me where it was like, this is a great starting point. I'm getting some good skills out of this, but I'm not staying in this role. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's definitely something out there that's bigger and more adaptive to who I am and what I want in my life. Which sounds really dramatic, but it's really not. <laughs> no, no, that's it doesn't sound yeah. dramatic. You're good. Um, yeah, for me, like software development felt like a. It feels like a means to an end, um, kind of role for me. It's like you've got the scaffolding, and now you have the tools to fill up that scaffolding and and build something with it. Mm-hmm. That's how I see um programming in general. Mm-hmm. So that was that kind of role for me. It's like okay, I got my toe in there now. Let me just shove the door open and get in properly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that's what it's like with any technical role that you start first. You know, just get your foot in there first. Because once you're in, it's like now it's up to you to figure out how you want to manoeuvre in the industry. Mm. So I saw that role as that. Yeah. So was it within that role that you found out more about accessibility? and become, So where did you find out more about accessibility? It's so funny because I didn't actually realise I was implementing a lot of the accessibility stuff I advocate and it wasn't apparent to me. I was doing it without realizing it. Like even in the film industry, some of the um, producers I've worked with um, were with uh, films around disability. Mm-hmm. So like oh, one um, okay. short film that I got to work on um, was with a French producer's partner and it was featuring a Paralympic athlete. Um, and even within that aspect and beyond, I was doing things that, were cons- that are considered today as like accessibility features. 
like you know reading over subtitles and correcting them um communicating with different disabled people on set there weren't a lot but a lot of the things i was doing actually was advocating for accessibility mm. so it actually started way before i even got into tech i think what tech opened up for me was the technical understanding and the design understanding of accessibility and that's when i became aware like oh i think i've been doing this for for a while by accident um i could even go back to my childhood um and this is where this is the funny part because i thought for the longest i was like i want to be the greatest ally to the disabled community like i just want to make sure i'm respectful and doing this this and that not realizing years later i was going to find out that i was part of it all along <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like even as a child it's like the way i was writing my school notes my revision notes um, I was being paired up with um, a lot of what they would call the special needs kids mm-hmm. um, because for some reason we just clicked mm-hmm. even when the teachers couldn't engage them. My flashcards used to get um, photocopied and I had a rotor giving them around in school. In my year group, um, I was doing revision sessions. So it was like even the way I was learning as a child indicated <laughs> that I was a disabled wow. kid all along. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was just me being helpful. So it's like it's, it's actually a full circle moment for me because I realized I was doing aspects of accommodating for accessibility yeah. my whole life because it was actually my world and I just didn't know it. Um, the tech industry gave me that kind of like, here's the technical tools of how you can actually implement this from the jump. Like, here's how you can understand how the web is built. And that's where it's like I can go much deeper and be like, hey, look, accessibility doesn't have to be this massive chore. And whether you're a developer, whether you're a UX designer, this is what you can do. Yeah. Um. So that's what tech exposed me to. I don't feel like it's something that I just randomly popped up doing. I think it was something that I was meant to just realize years down the line. Um. And yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just a full circle moment for me to be quite honest. That's so nice. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm really interested in hearing about how and why you got verified on Twitter. <laughs> I'll say one dish pad thai. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a mixture of stuff, but um, pad thai was involved. So um, this is something I just started for fun because um, when the first time I tried pad thai was actually at 18 when I had my first um, actual job uh, during my apprenticeship back when I was in the creative scene. And I just absolutely fell in love with the dish and I could not stop obsessing about it. So I created like a hashtag called pad thai propaganda. Yes. Um, just, for fun. <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. Just for fun. It was just for fun. Um, nothing more than just me getting people to eat pad thai because it's one of the best dishes in the world um and that was going on for like I think it's three years now and that was happening and then back before like when Love Island was popping and you know how the TO gets together and we're doing commentary um I was doing that as well because it's just fun and someone from the Twitter content team was just laughing at my tweets so much he actually reached out to me um and then was like yeah you're really entertaining on the timeline blah 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 then we looked into your profile and realized that you work in the tech industry and you're doing some great things in accessibility so then um i did like an interview where they spotlighted me and normally they do this series with americans so um i was actually their first uk content creator to be part of the series no way yeah and that's how i got verified so pad thai love island tweets <laughs> 
Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I did not expect that yeah. to be the answer. Did you expect no, that? You would think, like, because people are always messaging me, like, how do you apply for verification? I'm like, I really, it's not even something I was um, aspiring to. Yeah. You got headhunted for it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just out here just being me on this bird app. Like, yeah. I, I the banter is that strong that you managed to get verified for it. That's mad. <laughs> so, Obviously. you know, certified clown. <laughs> <laughs> Women in clowning. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Women in clowning. No, we have to keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, do you want to introduce this part? Yep. Time for Tech Topic with Amina. We'll be speaking about an intro to web accessibility. So, Amina, can you take it away? Yeah, of course. So, whenever I try to explain accessibility, I feel like it's something that People just assume is, you know, all these rules and regulations, you're going to get sued if you don't meet these requirements, etc. And I like to think of accessibility beyond just all the technical stuff. Um, it, it starts with advocating and communicating with the community you, you want to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially accessibility is about getting really deep and down with how the web is structured and how that can be accessed for as many people as possible particularly people within the disabled community so my thing is when it comes to designing digital products designing anything or building out a process um i like to focus on designing with integrity and dignity and accessibility is part of that when you think about the user experience accessibility accessibility needs to be part of it when you think about how you want to be inclusive accessibility needs to be part of it and you can't separate accessibility from the people that you're serving. Um, I say this because when we talk about accessibility, we're just seeing the rules, but not Mm. the people behind why those guidelines and those rules are there in the first place. Mm. So I like to start from there. Like, what does your world look like if you had the opportunity and you had the resources to build and design with dignity? So you start there. Then you think about who you're actually advocating for and how you want to engage with them because advocacy requires like understanding the boundaries within the community being able to be respectful of different people's experiences not just yeah tell me everything and I'll just do whatever um so that's how I like to approach accessibility first before I even go into any of the technical side of things um and then after that once you've identified this is what you want to do as a human being that actually wants to build products um meaningfully if that's an actual word, yeah, in a meaningful yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and once you've got that nailed down, um, what you'll see some companies do is write an accessibility statement. So it's basically like a promise that this is how we're trying to um, serve um, for accessibility. This is how we're going to do it. This is what we know we're not doing right. And this is what we want to fix. Mm. So that's how you would approach accessibility. Because it just comes down to making the web as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, we see that it's mainly aimed at the disabled community because they are a huge minority that's pushed aside. And then, once you've got that nailed down, now you can start thinking about your design process. So, who, who what are the different roles in your team? And what role can they play to facilitate accessibility? Because that will look different if you're a product manager versus if you're a UX designer versus if you're a developer versus if you're an accessibility specialist or quality assurance tester right and once you identify those roles then you think okay 
how do we engage with each other to make sure that this is part of the building process? Mm. Like we all talk about like test-driven development. We talk about working in an agile way. And it's quite ironic how accessibility is left out of yes. agile methodology because yep. it's like, it is. it's literally the best time to implement it because you're building out a small feature, you're testing it first, you're building it out, getting feedback, coming back, repeat, rather than the usual waterfall process. So that's the best time to actually implement accessibility. And it's not something that's just a quick fix or a tick box exercise. It's something that should be a process, even after the product's launched. So for example, if you were going to um, do some user testing and you're trying to figure out how users interact with a particular landing page, that's just something simple. Your product manager and your UX designer need to have a plan on how accessibility is going to be part of that. So how are you going to make sure that when you are doing testing, it's reaching a wide range of users, um, depending on what you're trying to build? Mm. Um, how do you make sure that when you get feedback, that that feedback sheet or that feedback form or however you're doing it is accessible? Because if you don't have, if you don't make that process accessible, then the data you're going to get isn't really going to cover what you're trying to do. Um, how do you then communicate with the rest of the team the different parts of accessibility that you're learning and you're implementing? Because when that part is not clear, then whatever you give to the developers, who I see as the scaffolders, they're scaffolders for the product. And it's not a bad thing. It's just like when you have those roles outlined, it's a lot easier to see who needs to communicate with who and who needs to keep track of what, which is, again, part of agile methodology. So I like to, um, when it comes to like how I'm building my startup right now with my team, um, I do a lot of the accessibility auditing and the accessibility side of things because that's my special specialty. But because my for, um, from my development experience and also I've led a few projects, it's like, okay, the conversation I'm going to have with my PM is going to be slightly different because I know that she's going to be handling these um, set of requirements and keep us on track in this way. So how do I make that process accessible? Um, and we go from there. Then when that's outlined, I now can speak to my UX and UI designer and be like, okay, this is how I want to do the user testing. This is what we need to keep in mind and research when it comes mm. to serving our disabled users. And these are the requirements that our, pro our product manager has outlined. How do you make sure that everything's in sync and then go from there? Because that makes my role easier as a founder. It makes the PM's role easier. And it also makes the designer's role easier because then she doesn't have to take... Um, she doesn't have to take the long route yeah. to make sure that, oh, you know, when we designed this landing page, um, some of our users couldn't access it because it wasn't working the screen readers. Or, you know, um, we've implemented this video, we've embedded this video on our landing page and there's no captions. You get to avoid all those little mishaps because you're already thinking about that in the beginning. And then by the time it gets to the point where the developers are working on it and you've got your testers, you know exactly what to look for. Yeah. Um, and then that just saves you so much time and money and <laughs> lawsuits way down the line. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about the beginning, like what are the roles and how are you guys communicating in that team within your roles and within everyone else's roles? I feel like that's the best way to implement accessibility. Definitely. And I think that thinking of it in that way, you're not just leaving it to the responsibility of one person, the person at the end. It's like everybody is included from the beginning in the accessibility aims. So we all get to have play a part in making sure that we're meeting those requirements. Yeah, that's really nice. And it's everyone it's everyone's responsibility. I feel like there's all, there's this misconception that it's the coders responsibility, the people that are coding and um, the designers. And that's about it. And it's like, 
know when everyone's actually involved, the same way you're managing stakeholder expectations, the same way you're managing like project de- deadlines, is the same way you should treat accessibility. Um, it's not just some separate extra add-on. Like it's literally part of usability. And I, I think when I first entered the tech industry, I found it quite strange when I was learning about accessibility that it was seen as like the separate thing from usability. Because we look at a lot of the products now and like Apple is a great example of this. A lot of their features with their Apple Watch, let's say, are accessibility features. But because they're embedded in usability so well, everyone else gets to enjoy yes, it too. Exactly. So it's like, I find it quite strange when those two things are separated. Um, and I think a big part of that is because people don't understand how their role feeds into accessibility and inclusive mm-hmm. design as a whole, mm-hmm. which is why you get that gap that we're seeing now where technology is moving so fast, whereas with accessibility, there's still so much to keep up and update. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was reading about how accessibility can be seen more of an afterthought rather than mm-hmm. within the process. Yeah. And I don't really necessarily think that it's as encouraged to include accessibility, oddly enough, even though we're having like all these conversations based on it, but it's not only part of like companies' processes. Yeah. But I'm hoping for a change in that. But how did you go out? Like, was it, did your company encourage you to do certain courses on accessibility or how was that embedded in your learning? Um, I literally would ask around on Twitter. I'd be like, hey guys, I'm learning about accessibility. What do I do? Mm. Like after I've Googled and YouTube, that's what I would do. And people reached out to me um, about it, especially when I kept talking about what I was learning and documenting it. And that's how I actually found one of my first mentors. Um, he was like, I've, I know it, he was a de- he's a developer too, but he did a bit of accessibility work a few years ago. And he was like, I can see your passion and this is what I want you to do. And he sent me like a roadmap of books to read and courses to take so I started one from edX intro to web accessibility I would highly recommend that it's very easy to follow along and um, Google has a few courses Uh, I know it's not accessibility but like user experience courses Mm. I would recommend that too because one thing I found out recently is like I understand um, accessibility because of my development background as well so that helps However, if you're someone that has no technical background and you're learning about accessibility, do those courses, but also see if you can pair it up with like user experience courses or user research courses, because it actually helps you get a better understanding of how that fits in with the whole process. And then I just follow a lot of disabled um, people on Twitter um, and just online in general. And I try to get involved with different projects and charities as well. Um, It's actually quite ironic because by the time I got to me wanting to do accessibility work in the tech space I already had such a large community from the disabled um, Twitter space so when I kind of I didn't really announce like hey I'm working accessibility the work just kind of transitioned and it just clicked with people because technically I was doing it I just didn't know it Mm. Um, so I would say um, besides all the courses actually listen to what disabled people are saying because a lot of the times um, people are so focused on I want to learn this technical stuff. I want to learn that technical, this and that. And it's like, you do realise the users that you're targeting are right there telling you what they're complaining about, what they like, what they don't like. Mm. Um, so literally, <laughs> talk to disabled people. You know, we're not kryptonite. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. can talk to us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we continue to speak to Amina about neurodiversity in tech, imposter syndrome and being a CEO and founder of a tech startup.
of course they're, you're gonna feel like an imposter um it's not what it's not something that you are suffering from it's something that's being done to you so did you always have a feeling that you'd eventually be an entrepreneur and do you feel like you've demonstrated entrepreneurial traits i was actually that kid in secondary school that sold cookies donuts crisps lucas aid on sports day i was really that kid <laughs> and then i saw my the money that i'm making i'm like you know what? i can get chicken and chips with a drink after oh, school with this yeah. <laughs> in that moment for me i had no like backup plan i had no like you know bank of mum and dad like hey i'm just exploring this give me some time it was literally like i'm in such a toxic work environment that my health is impacted and this is the one thing that's making me feel good right now mm. i couldn't see anything else get your teas out because it's time for what's the tech tea i'm ready for this one <laughs> <laughs> it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.